five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos, on this 4th of July. This is your Jewish Moment in the Morning radio program. Oh, boy, I'm 
Oh, no. 
JM in the AM. Good morning and welcome to 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County's at 91.9 on the FM dial and around the world on the web, JM in the AM dot ORG. Uh, Curry Bone done by Ari Goldwag. You heard Yaakov Shweki with Hakadosh Baruch Hu. David Gabe and Hagomel, Moshe Hecht. God is alive and well in Jerusalem. Ari Goldwag had Gam Ki Elech. You heard Yehuda Glanz with Chaver Tov. Akol Yoducha from the great Benzion Schenker. Baruch Kel Elyon and Kel Adon from Chazan David Werdiger. And the Regesh Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. JM in the AM at 10 minutes before 7 o'clock Eastern Time on this Friday, the 4th of July. Happy 4th to all. The 6th day in the month of Tammuz, the year 5774, Tuf and Dalid. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas Bullock with candle lighting time at 8.10 on this Erev Shabbos. 8.10. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. 73 degrees, 89% humidity. Winds in north at 3 miles per hour. Looks like another day of this rough weather. Then we'll finally get into the clear. I'll tell you. On Wednesday night and Thursday night in this area, whoo boy, there was some rough weather. Evidence from the uh, from the buckets that are in this room here in our main studio that we had a little bit of a leaking problem during the flash flood last night. That's the way it seems, at least. Uh, lots of rain Wednesday night and Thursday night. Looks like another day where we'll have things going on and off throughout the day, and then finally we'll be in the clear, hopefully. By tonight, rain and wind with a high temperature of 76 and showers and windy weather early tonight with a low 62. Tomorrow, sunshine, a high Shabbos, 85 degrees. We're at 86 in Yerushalayim, up in Guilford, New York. Our friends at Camp Missora are waking up to clear weather and 60 degrees. Yeah, it looks like the rain's passed through that area already. And we wish a wonderful Shabbos to everybody up at Camp Missora and all the summer camps up there, who most of whom are, are together for their first Shabbos with the campers this weekend. So we greet them and say hi and thank everybody who actually, uh, unlike the old days where nobody would be able to uh, access us via the radio from their summer camp, now with the iPhone and Android apps, it seems like uh, people are tuned in from everywhere, and I thank you for that. Today especially, many people are anxious to hear Malcolm Holmline from Israel as we discuss the aftermath of the murder of our three boys in Israel. And uh, Malcolm, of course, is in Jerusalem. He'll give us an update on everything happening, including the current situation along the Gaza Strip, this uh, rumored truce between Hamas and Israel and all the other stuff that we've been reading about all through the week. We will uh, discuss uh, all of that coming up at 7.40 this morning at JM in the AM during our weekly update. So we'll have that for you in the uh, second hour this morning. Rabbi Yudin coming up in the 8 o'clock hour, of course. And I thank you all for tuning in. It is the 4th of July. I don't remember the last time I was here on the 4th of July. I felt it was important this week that we be here to wrap things up and discuss the news of the week. There's so much happening and so much going on that we want everyone to be up to date uh, about. So we will uh, we'll do that coming up right here at JM in the AM. All day long on the stream, you have amazing programming all the way until candle lighting time. All you got to do is just leave it on and enjoy. If you're sitting on the beach, if you're... Uh, Sitting and studying, if you're uh, vacationing somewhere, if you're having an amazing time in your kitchen on Erev Shabbos, whatever the case may be, just keep our uh, our amazing app going all day long, our network programming, which includes some uh, phenomenal Erev Shabbos selections all through the day, 
Uh, you could access it at jmnam.org, at nachomsegel.com. And uh, the NSN app is also a wonderful option. Friday morning, JM and AM, Erev Shabbos with Baruch Habitan.
J.M. in the A.M. Baruch Abitan L'chadodi. Minute before 7 o'clock on a Friday on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Bullock. Lots of folks um, away today and uh, all through this uh, holiday weekend in the United States. Thanks for taking us along with whatever method you use to listen while you are, in fact, away from your radio. It's much appreciated. Check out the brand new NSN app if you haven't installed it on your iPhone or Android yet. NSN, Nachum Siegel Network app. A phenomenal way to drag us along and uh, keep in touch with everybody while you're uh, either working or uh, vacationing uh, somewhere in a remote area. Probably the, one of the best methods you could use to um, enhance your era of Shabbos and keep the music going all day long. Malcolm Holmline will join us from Israel. That's coming up at 7.40 this morning. There's lots of news, obviously, and this is a week where everyone is anxious to to hear what's happening in the Holy City. So we'll do that coming up at 7.40 this morning here at JMAM. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio News coming up next. This is America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial and around the world on the web, jmnam.org. 73 degrees, 89% humidity, winds in north, 3 miles per hour. Rain and wind today with a high temperature of 76 and showers and windy weather early. Low temperature tonight, 62. Sunshine finally for tomorrow, a nice Shabbos with a high temperature of 85 degrees. 86 in Yerushalayim, 60 up in Guilford, New York, where our friends at Camp Missouri are already enjoying a wonderful start to the summer of uh, 5774. Here in Jersey City, 73 degrees. On a Friday morning at JM in the AM. IDF artillery fired into the Gaza Strip Friday following a continued barrage of rocket fire despite media reports that Hamas officials have claimed they support a ceasefire with Israel, with the, which Egyptian intelligence officials were attempting to broker. 
four rockets have exploded in southern Israel since Friday morning, while another was intercepted by Iron Dome batteries. Two more mortar shells reportedly exploded in open fields, according to media reports. This and other items will be in our weekly update coming up. Malcolm Honelines in Jerusalem. We speak with him live, 7.40 Eastern Time this morning, right here at JM in the AM. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday follows next. We say Boker Tov from JM in the AM. גליצל השעה שתיים, כאן גוני כהן עם מה שקורה עכשיו. התחדשו המהומות בירושלים לקראת הלווייתו של הנער שנרצח בשועפת. כתבנו יותם ברגר. עשרות התפגרו כאן סמוך להר הבית ופוזרו באמצעות גמוני הלם. מאות ידעו אבנים בוואדי ג'וז ועשרות תושבים נוספים הפרו את הסדר בשכונת ראס אל עמוד. התפילה בהר הבית הסתיימה והמתפללים המוסלמים מתחילים להתפזר. בזמן הקרוב צפויה להתחיל לוויתו של הנער שנרצח, מוחמד אבו חדר, באזור שועפת. שר חוץ אביגדור ליברמן אומר בעקבות הדיווחים על הפסקת אש בדרום זו טעות קשה. הוא דיבר במהלך סיור בשדרות. אנחנו לא מקבלים את הגישה שצריך ללכת ולרצות את חמאס. אנחנו לא מקבלים את המצב שחמאס שולט בקצב האירועים. הוא מחליט מתי הוא מחמם את הגזרה ומתי הוא מקרר את הגזרה. הוא שולט בגובה להבות והם יוזמים ואנחנו רק עונים. ליברמן הוסיף כי צריך להעביר מסר לראשי חמאס, כולל ח'אלד משעל ואיסמאעיל הנייה, שגם הם מטרה לגיטימית לפגיעה. בינתיים שתי פצצות מרגמה התפוצצו בצהריים בשטח ישראל. כתבנו רמי שני. הפצצות נפלו בשטח פתוח במועצה האזורית אשכול מבלי לגרום לנזקים או נפגעים. ביישובים דורשים עם זאת שכל הפרה, ולו הקטנה ביותר, תיענה בתגובה חריפה, כדי שיפעלו ברצועה להפסיק את הירי לאלתר. כתבנו הצבאי, טל אברהם עוסר כי צה"ל הגיב במרגמות לעבר אזור הירי. בבוקר נורו חמש רקטות לעבר שדרות וסביבתה, אחת מהן יורתה על ידי מערכת כיפת ברזל. כתובות נאצה נגד יהודים ובעד חמאס וצלבי קרס התגלו בכניסה לעיר רהט. המשטרה פתחה בחקירה. שלושה מאחזים חדשים הוקמו הלילה ביהודה ושומרון בתגובה לרצח שלושת הנערים. כתבנו ענבל תמיר. באזור גוש עציון הוקמו שני מאחזים חדשים, האחד מכונה תקועה ה' ונמצא בסמוך להתנחלות תקועה, והשני בשם רמת השלושה, המערבית להתנחלות בת עין. בכל אחד מהם קרוונים ספורים בלבד וגנרטורים, המועצה האזורית גוש עציון הודיעה כי בכוונתה להרחיבם. מאחז נוסף בשם תלמי חיים הוקם בסמוך לקריית ארבע וכעת שעות בו שלוש משפחות. מכבי האש מנסים כעת להשתלט על השרפה מדרום לחיפה שגורמת גם לשיבושים בתנועת הרכבות. כתבנו קובי מנדל. השרפה בשמורת הבונים משתוללת על שטח של כ-20 דונמים ובמקום פועלים עשרה צוותי כיבוי וארבעה מטוסי כיבוי. האש מתוחמת בשדות ורחוקה מבתי המגורים של מושב הבונים, אך עקב קרבתה למסילת הרכבת הופסקה תנועת הרכבות במקום. עדיין לא הושגה שליטה על השרפה. התחזית מחר ירידה קלה בטמפרטורות. אלה החדשות שעורך הדר שיפר בצוות בת רווה ואופז קנטור. Oh! 
J.M. in the A.M. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Candle lighting at 8.10. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Shlomo Katz, of course, with Yismachu. Chazin Yitzchak Meir Helfgott. Before that one, one of our favorite Erev Shabbos selections here at J.M. in the A.M. 16 minutes after 7 o'clock as we speak on a Friday morning here at J.M. in the A.M. It's the 4th of July. Happy 4th to all. Less than a half hour away from Malcolm Honline Live in Jerusalem. Discuss the events of this week and uh, what's happening in the aftermath of the murder of our three boys. Uh, we've discussed countless times on this program what a great idea it is and how important it is uh, when something happens in Israel, whether it be uh, terror attacks, war, disengagement, whatever the case may be. Um, it is so important to send a representative from different shuls and groups to see what's going on. It's it's an experience that it's obviously impossible to send everybody from a group or from a community. So at least a representative who then comes back and reports and brings everyone the good news, the bad news, whatever it might be. And we've spoken about this concept for a long time. We've implemented it actually uh, many, many times. And I know that some synagogues out there have actually done it on uh, different occasions. Uh, so last night I got a communique uh, in regard to a trip that uh, Rabbi Shai Shechter uh, is on right now in Israel. Uh, apparently, and I hope I have this right, apparently uh, the White Shul, Congregation Knesset Israel in Farakaway, uh, wanted to send a representative uh, to the Shiva homes in Israel. And um, Rabbi Shai Shechter, who I can't look it up this second, but I believe is the assistant rabbi, at the White Shul in uh, Farakaway, was chosen. The uh, synagogue made a uh, deliberate decision, rightfully so, to send somebody, and uh, in this case they sent a member of their rabbinic staff. And he writes, Driving to the airport on Wednesday afternoon, I was filled with sadness and incredibly broken spirits. I've never been so sad to be visiting Eretz Israel in my life. I was feeling uncomfortable. On so many different levels, will my presence be of any significance or meaning to these most beloved families? Will they just look at me as yet another representative from just another organization who's paying his dues by passing through their grieving home? 
Well, I even have a chance to explain where I come from, that I have come to mourn with them and convey some of our collective thoughts and feelings of their brothers and sisters in America. But after all, I was chosen as our Shliach Tzibor to deliver a piece of our heart to the Sher, Frankel, and Yifrach families respectively, so the answer had to be to go and to make the very best of this most unfortunate trip. Getting stuck on the runway for close to two hours, I said to myself, this trip is starting off drastically different than I'd expected. I was meant to land at 12 noon in Tel Aviv, go directly from the airport to meet Rabbi Weiner from the OU and visit the families. And this plane delay would now throw off the entire Israel arrangement. But boy, was I mistaken. This was a trip that will be etched in my mind for all posterity. It was the most inspiring and uplifting trip I could have ever made, and I simply have to share my feelings with the Tzibor who felt the grave importance of sending a shul representative. Now what I'll do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this section that he talks about on the plane, and then later we'll talk about the section where he writes about the actual visit to the Shiva homes. But Rabbi Shai Shechter continues, In the middle of our flight, the flight attendant began to speak with me, and we got into a very pleasant conversation. She inquired when I was planning to return back to the States, and I said I'd be only staying until after Shabbos, and I would then be returning to the U.S., she said, just four days, what kind of trip is that? And I proceeded to tell her that I was sent by our shul to visit the three respective families to deliver our beautiful letters and to let them know the affection of their beloved brothers and sisters in America knows no bounds. She immediately began to cry uncontrollably and said, this kahila of yours is something unique and something incredibly special. For you to get on the flight is no big deal, but this speaks volumes about your kahila, your congregation that this is what they feel is important. This is where their hearts are, and this is what's occupying their minds. How incredible. So the flight attendant proceeds to make an announcement in tears to a plane filled almost to capacity with birthright groups. Rabotai, she says, we have on our plane a shaliach mitzvah. Come meet a rabbi who was sent by his congregation to perform the great mitzvah of nichum avelim for those whom they feel are their own brothers and sisters. Our plane is safe because we have a shaliach mitzvah on board with us. This led to a whole pandemonium, and after I finally got to sit down again, Rabbi Shai Shechter continues, the young man next to me informs me that he's 26 years old, from Seattle, works in a national zoo, and is going to Israel for the first time. Then proceeds to tell me that he was so inspired by our congregation that he would like to borrow my talis to do a mitzvah that he has not done since his bar mitzvah celebration, in memory of the three precious neshamas. I gladly give him my talis and proceeded to ask him if he knew how to recite a bracha. He said, sure I do. And he went on to take a small piece of paper from his pocket and recite tefillah saderech, the prayer for the traveler. This was the one and only Hebrew bracha that he was familiar with, so he decided to recite it as well on the talis. He then asked to borrow my tefillin, which was followed by a long conversation with other members of the plane who were all taking pictures of this Highly unusual scene. After a few minutes, he turns to me and says, Rabbi, I am so inspired, but in Seattle we don't have these boxes. But I want to continue to do something special for these three precious souls, even after I return home. So what would you suggest I do? I was in complete shock and overwhelmed with emotion, so the Satmer Chassid in the next row turns to this tattooed and pierced young man and says, Sweet Jew, if you promise me you will try and wear these tefillin each and every day, I promise I will have a pair sent by FedEx to your home in Seattle by the time you get back from Israel. 
They then exchanged phone numbers and information, and the deal was done. Now I ask you, is Klal Yisrael, the Jewish people, anything short of amazing and absolutely incredible? Look what our Kahila alone has already accomplished. I almost felt like taking the next flight home and calling this trip the greatest success I could have imagined. But things only continued to become more and more meaningful as the day went on. I'm reading from Rabbi Shai Shechter's account of his trip to Israel to be Menachem Oval to visit the three families, and I'll continue with it in just a few minutes right here at JM and the AM with the part where he discusses actually visiting the family. By the way, through his letter and through a bunch of sources that we uh, had yesterday that we spoke to, people that were in uh, the homes visiting uh, the three families, uh, there is an effort today at 7 p.m. Israel time by the families, for as many people as possible around the world, to give tzedakah, even one coin, even one small coin of tzedakah, of charity, at 7 p.m. Israel time, at the same time, everybody who could participate around the world in this one mitzvah. Uh, this was something that was uh, asked by the families of the people who were visiting. And uh, therefore, we will, uh, why not, go ahead and promote this initiative and ask everybody out there, uh, 7 p.m. Israel time, which here is noon time, and I guess again at 7 p.m. our time, if you'd like to do it again, uh, we ask everybody to give any amount of tzedakah, of charity, something asked by the uh, Frankel, Sher, and Yifrach families, and to keep the boys in mind that in their schus, just like they unified the Jewish people over the last uh, two, three weeks with this uh, unfortunate adventure, um, so too we should be unified in doing a mitzvah collectively and uh, together in their memory. So that's 7 p.m. Israel time. It's noon here in the New York, New Jersey area. And uh, as I said, uh, if you'd like to do it again, 7 p.m. before Shabbos, that would also be a nice additional gesture. But that's what the families are asking. In fact, Rabbi Shai Shechter writes about it, and we'll talk about it as we uh, uh, continue through his words about his actual visit to the uh, Shiva houses coming up right here at JM in the AM.
J.M. and the A.M., it's Benny Friedman. So I mentioned that Rabbi Shai Shechter uh, traveled to Israel in Kolakavod, to Rabbi Feiner and the entire uh, uh, congregation Knesset Israel in uh, Far Rockaway for sending him as a representative, a concept that we wholly endorse. Uh, every time there's any type of episode, we always encourage uh, groups and synagogues to send a representative and have somebody there on the spot and 
report back. So I mentioned this incredible story of the flight. Actually, I read it from his words. And now I continue from when he lands in Israel. I landed in Eretz Yisrael over two hours late and had already missed two out of the three homes that the OU was planning to visit. So I met them on the way to the Share home, which is located in Talmon, uh, a neighborhood of 280 families surrounded on all sides by Arab villages. We arrived there at 3.30 and were told by police that the family was resting until 5.30. So the van decided to leave, but I chose to stay and wait it out. So there I was alone in a far-flung yeshuv that I've never heard of, drenched with sweat and not a living person in sight in any direction. I begin to walk around looking for a Beit Midrash, and after about a minute, a woman walks out of the share residence, and I sheepishly ask her, by chance, do you speak English? She says, yes, I'm from the States, but I live in Talmon for over 20 years. How can I help you? I just came from the airport. Haven't had anything to eat or drink. Last-minute flight. Is there? Uh, uh, I'm feeling a little disoriented. She invited me into her home, served me a beautiful platter of fresh food, gave me a tour of the local shul and mikvah, acquainted me to the local shomrim and chayalim, and proceeded to introduce me to many of the local families on the shares block as well. One after the other, families began to break down crying as they heard that a guest had arrived from America to share in their pain. But I watched as these incredible families walked up and down the streets with bottles of water, delicious cake platters, freshly diced fruit, tuna and egg sandwiches, and everything else you could imagine, offering the crowd that was beginning to form outside the residence. Their outpouring of love was quite overwhelming to watch, and it's something that's hard for me to properly express in words. Signs were posted by a table at the entrance to the door asking all visitors to write down what services they might be able to offer the family in the coming months. A plumber wrote that he's off on Wednesday and would be happy to help out if needed. A therapist wrote that any day after hours they could feel free to use her services. A young teenage girl from Beit Shemesh wrote that she has a summer off and would be happy to entertain anyone in the yeshuv who was busy caring for the shares during the tragedy, and the list went on and on and on. Politicians began to gather, and many people could be seen waiting for the shares to reopen their doors. Fellow school friends of Gilad began to recount stories of his youthful personality. But after just a few minutes, Mr. and Mrs. Share asked that people please make way for the Kahila, who has sent someone all the way from America to visit. We want to hear from him. His visit means the most to us right now, though we may be closer to many of you sitting in the room. I then received the most warm, gracious, gentle, and highly emotional embrace from Mr. Share, who was completely overcome with shock by our shul's gesture. The room grew silent, and we began to speak with one another. I then proceeded to present the letters from our shul, which threw the room into a complete hysteria. And Mrs. Bat Galim Sher began to speak with me about her feelings of love for our Kahila. Although there were numerous signs posted that no pictures be taken at Shiva, Bat Galim encouraged her friends and relatives to take pictures and share them with both her family and our Kahila, so they would remember and that we would be able to see how much this visit meant to them. Surprisingly, she then proceeded to personally address our wonderful shul on video as well and asked her friends to share her personal message with our shul via email before Shabbos so we could all appreciate the Shares family tremendous appreciation and love and incredible sense of strength that they felt by our gesture. We're reading this morning from the words of Rabbi Shai Schechter. There's more coming up as he um, writes about his visit to the Frankel home which we will get to in just a few minutes here at JM and the AM. Malcolm Holmline is in Israel. We will speak with him and talk about this very challenging week. It's all coming up if you keep it here at 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial and around the world in the web, jmtheam.org.
J.M. in the A.M., 7.42, 18 minutes before 8 o'clock. Fourth of July morning on this Friday. Erev Shabbos Parshas Bullock with candle lighting at 8.10 on this Erev Shabbos. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Rain and windy weather today with a high temperature of 76. Things start clearing up later tonight. And we're looking at a couple of nice days, Shabbos and Sunday in this area. 86 in Yerushalayim. We're at 73 here in Jersey City as we say good morning on a Friday at J.M. in the A.M. I want to thank our friends at JewishWorldReview.com who continue to enthusiastically recommend to their readers our, Ameri- our amazing live stream at jmnam.org and nachomsegel.com. Uh, if you want to check out, especially this week, with so much happening in the Middle East and other areas of the world, if you want to check out amazing analysis and incredible articles and print out a whole bunch of stuff that you could read over Shabbos or any time, uh, check out JewishWorldReview.com. And again, we thank them. Uh, earlier we were reading from the account of Rabbi Shai Shechter, who um, is um, on the rabbinic staff at Congregation Knesset Israel, the White Shul in Farakaway, and he was sent by his congregation, a, a practice that we n- not only endorse, but we're so enthusiastic that some synagogues have done this, uh, 
they actually sent a representative, in this case, Rabbi Shachter, to uh, go and visit the families in Israel, and he writes an amazing account. We've already covered two parts of the account, this incredible story that happened on the plane with the young man from Seattle uh, taking on uh, the mitzvah of Talos and Tefillin because of the uh, the boys. And uh, you heard about his visit to the Cher family, and uh, coming up later in this show, I'll read you his account of his visit to the Frankel home. And um, I, I do want to remind everybody, it, although it is not customary for us normally to um, spread the word about different initiatives that have been um, introduced, um, because a lot of different things are done or are encouraged by people to be done uh, in trying circumstances, uh, especially Arab Shabbos. But in this case, we're making an exception. Uh, the families in Israel have actually uh, uh, set aside tonight at 7 p.m. Israel time for everybody to give any amount of tzedakah, any amount of charity, even a coin, at the same time, 7 p.m. Israel time, which would be noon here, uh, just to, again, uh, um, uh, expand the unity that uh, developed during these uh, tense uh, two-and-a-half weeks and uh, together do a mitzvah in memory of these three boys. So uh, if anybody would like to participate, just know that the family is leading this effort at 7 p.m. Israel time today, which is 12 noon here in the East Coast, and uh, you have an opportunity to participate together in something that's going to be happening around the world. Malcolm Honline is in Jerusalem. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Malcolm, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. From very sunny Jerusalem where there's no rain and no wind and just beautiful sunshine. And I, I want to give a mazel tov to Hanoch and Alana Honline in Baltimore on the engagement of their daughter Michal to Emil Teach from Paris now Maryland, uh, and they should build a base them. I'm also related to them. <laughs> you certainly are, and uh, how how appropriate that we start this conversation with good news with a mazel tov. Isn't that what the Jewish people are always about, uh, being able to rebound and concentrate on the positive, on the good things? Uh, Malcolm, obviously a very challenging week. Uh, you were there. You continue to be there, obviously. Um Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Zinger, the Rosh Hashiva of Makar Chaim, during the eulogy on Tuesday, uh, mentioned the, uh, the, the uh, tongue-in-cheek uh, Jewish adage about there being uh, two Jews and three opinions. But he added, in a non-tongue-in-cheek manner, he added, but one heart. Did you, in fact, feel that one heart during your visit this week? I was there at the funeral, and I went early in order to, to be able to be there. <laughs> and was seated uh, right behind the prime minister and the families, and could watch their reaction and, and see the not only the loving care that was demonstrated to them, but the strength and the determination and the um, confidence that they had, the families had. The obviously there were points where they broke down and the, the only natural reactions. Uh, but I heard Rabbi Singer's uh, words and the words of uh, Netanyahu, which were very strong and, and poignant, uh, as were the others. There weren't that many speeches, uh, but the hardest part, I have to tell you, <clears throat> was when three fathers stood up together to say Kaddish. And I will tell you that there certainly wasn't a dry eye amongst the tens and tens and tens of thousands. I have organized big rallies, and I know that you know what it takes to get ten thousand, twenty thousand, thirty thousand 
this had to be close to 100,000, just an endless stream for a kilometer or two kilometers. You could see just masses of people coming out after the funeral. Uh, it took almost an hour to get out of the area in Modi'in where the uh, three were buried, and that's after they had the individual ceremonies for each of the three uh, boys. You alluded to this, uh, of course, over the last couple of weeks when you noted that uh, there were no demands being made by the kidnappers, which, you know, obviously did not bode well. If they have nothing of value, then, you know, then, then they would hesitate to make any demands. And obviously, based on what we know now, authorities concluded 99% that the boys were gone almost immediately. Uh, would you think that the families were informed about this very early on? I mean, was it days before authorities gave them their impression of what their fate was, or is this something that they knew within hours? They didn't know within hours because, you know, within hours they, they just started the investigation. But when they found the car and they found uh, the glasses of one of the boys and it was taken in the middle of the night to an optician who identified it, there were other things that they found, obviously blood in the cars, that they knew that there were bad things that happened. They didn't know the ultimate fate because they didn't have the bodies. But you know that one of the fathers said on the third day he wrote the hespit for his son already because he knew the truth. And um, and there and then we know that, and just for a moment we'll concentrate on the mothers, that the mothers travel to Geneva and the mothers... Uh, are going to these rallies and are encouraging people during the Tehillim and prayer sessions to to keep going and not lose faith. And all of this that you just mentioned was in the back of their minds as this was going on. All of this and much more, knowing, you know, fearing what the boys went through. Um, you know, they're, they're in the hands of barbaric monsters who are capable of doing anything and have done in the past terrible things that they to the people they've held captive uh so their reaction and their focus on achdut on trying to promote the unity of the jewish people in the midst of all of this and their constant uh admonitions to people to sustain the faith and to demonstrate it in different ways was all the more remarkable i spoke to them at the funeral uh, very briefly obviously but you saw that same confidence there, and, and um, you know, one of the mothers fell on the on the uh, stretcher. The bodies were carried on stretchers because they're not buried in coffins in, in Jerusalem. And you know, these were all natural reactions. But the, the incredible strength that they demonstrated, not only through the week, but at the funeral itself, with the bodies laying in front, three little three gurneys of, of very slight bodies, you could see that. Uh, it, it was superhuman, and I have to tell you, to remain composed during that uh, ceremony was impossible. And you, when I landed, in fact, on the airplane um, in, in Tel Aviv, as they touched down, you know that every Israeli takes out their phone right away. Right. So they turned on their phones, and you could hear the phones ringing, literally at a wave across the airplane. And then you heard people going, oh, oh. No, no, and sobbing started, and almost a crescendo was reached as the plane taxied to the uh, gate, because by then it had been confirmed. When we landed, it was only an Al Jazeera report, and in the 10 minutes until we got to the gate, obviously Israeli press was reporting it, and people were getting it on their phones. 
and there was hardly a dry eye in the plane. Everybody just quietly walked off the plane. Nobody talked. Nobody laughed. It was unbelievable. Yeah, it's interesting. Some of us didn't realize how engaged we were in the entire story until we heard the news and saw what emotions emerged from us. Uh, Malcolm Honline from Jerusalem. How lucky, maybe the wrong word, but you know what I mean, how lucky is it that the bodies were found? I mean, this could have gone on forever, right? This could have gone on, and you know how, how it was found? It was found by volunteers from the area, Jewish volunteers who were combing it, because it had been an area checked by the police. They did not see it. They noticed that there was a tree that was not uh, a natural tree for that area. That it seemed uh, both the location that we were standing was artificial, and they went out to check it, and they saw that at the bottom there were stones, and they that's how they found uh, the body. Some people found it unusual that the parents requested that the the boys all be buried side by side. Uh, does that also reflect the uh, the unity and the struggle that the families had been through, and they you know concluded that there was no other way to end this story? And to have everybody come together in one place after having the private the ceremonies in each of their communities, the idea of having them all together so they could be buried together, having gone through what they did, even if for a short time, hopefully, is again a sign of their incredible dedication and, and devotion and their wisdom to see beyond the moment and to, to rise above their own pain, to think about how they could serve the state and, and, and the Israel, the Jewish people, by having a, one place where this mass of people could come together. People walked many kilometers because you couldn't get near the area by car, uh, young and old alike, many kilometers, uh, in order to be there. And I think that that was the vision, that there would be one ceremony to show that there's a common pain that we're all part of one family. And I hope, I hope we can find ways to sustain the kind of reaction where there were thousands of events in the United States. You know, people wanted uh, one big rally, and I told them it's much more powerful than this occasion, because it wasn't a political message that we were trying to get out. It was a prayer, it was unity, that there were thousands of events across the United States and around the world held in, in support of, of the boys and their families. I think it was the most magnificent demonstration possible. What did you think of the uh, speakers list at some of the um, uh, funerals before the one, you know, big gathering? Uh, some people were shocked that uh, someone like Yair Lapid was asked to speak. What was your impression of that? People were shocked. <laughs> I can tell you, the political people, you know, I spoke to. Uh, I only saw the one where Boogie Alom, because uh, I was, I had just come in and was preparing to go to the uh, to the funeral at uh, Modine, uh, but Yair Lapid and the Minister of Education Piron, uh, both of whom are somewhat ideologically different than uh, maybe where the families came from. But first of all, they're not all of the same view, and right. they they wanted to show again that this is not one segment of the political spectrum or one segment of the. Jewish people, but that they all be represented there to show that this is a, 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 a approach of Israel. And it's amazing. And it's amazing. You just said so many people don't realize how not everybody's on the same page, 
in this entire group of people, and yet never a word about politics, never a word about an individual, a movement, a party, a policy, a direction Israel should or should not take, blaming one or the other from the past or present policies for this entire episode. I mean, what discipline they had to completely remain away from that stuff. That, you're absolutely right, but, but and they went even further. They, they took every opportunity, even at the funeral, to thank the police, the IDF, the volunteers, everyone who was involved, and did not point any fingers and say, if you had done this, if somebody else had done something else. Not even against the police where there is an investigation ongoing for the delay in the response. Yeah, I know, and people already were disciplined for that, right? Yes. Um, it's funny, you, you, you talk about the unity, and it, it obviously was the topic of uh, conversation over the last three weeks, this incredible unity. And uh, we had Dove Lippman on, we were discussing the whole thing, and you know, I proposed, and, and this is something that you and I have discussed in the past, if we could just start, and I and I have to do the same thing. I'm not I'm not shirking my responsibility. If we could just start with a really harsh rhetoric being eliminated, you know, not asking people to change their opinions or not be passionate about their point of view. But when you hear people say, "Oh, that one is destroying Judaism," or "That party on the right or left is you know taking us in a horrible direction," or "That one doesn't care about the future of the Jewish people," it's those type of statements. We could eliminate those based on the unity of the last couple of weeks, that would be a tremendous victory. It would be very nice if people would think about the consequences of their words and their deeds. I don't know who was responsible for killing the Palestinian, but it certainly is a supporter of Hamas, because that acted more for Hamas and for uh, distracting people's attention from this desperately act regarding the three boys and put everything on a moral equivalency uh, again, it could be purely an internal uh, thing, a fight, and there are many rumors, and I've spoken to police, but uh, the fear is that this this will have been a nationalistic event, uh, that we have to consider what what rhetoric, what, what gave license to this kind of an action. This is so un-Jewish and so uh, contrary to all of our values, and, um, and, that, and the idea that today when we could come together in such a remarkable way to remind us that what we have in common far outweighs our differences and that only by coming together can we hope to secure everyone's future. We can't afford with the challenges that Israel faces today and you know in the two days I'm here I've had meetings and we'll have many, you know a number more before I come back uh, with the leaders of Israel there are so many issues right now, whether it's ISIS and the changing map of the Middle East, the, the security situation in Gaza, the security situation in the North, so many threats, the rise of anti-Semitism in Europe, the, the Islamist extremists who, who are training in Syria and going to the United States and Europe and elsewhere in the world. When we realize all of this, you know that we have limited resources and it's only by applying all those resources in a constructive and meaningful way. And it doesn't mean that everybody has to believe the same thing, and it doesn't mean they can't criticize. But you've got to think of the consequences and what words you use and how you give expression to it. Right. I've got to go back for a second, because I, I and I'm sure others are confused. Are, are you saying that there's a definitive report now that that Arab uh, boy was killed at the hands of Jews? No, there's, it, there's no definitive report yet of anything. 
I said that there are some signs indicating that because uh, there are other things in terms of family feuds and stuff that you know we've seen before where you know Arabs killed Arabs for and they killed women they killed men um, and that there was some incident with a cousin of this boy and he comes from a very big clan in in the area so there there's that possibility but uh, I said it doesn't matter who did it. Whoever they are, are a supporter of Hamas because they're benefiting Hamas for right. what they did. Uh, do you know when the results of that investigation will be released? Well, the body's being released now. There's a rioting going on in East Jerusalem and areas um, uh, near the Temple Mount and elsewhere. Uh, the destruction in certain isolated areas, especially of the light railroad stop in, in uh, Arab areas, were completely destroyed, set on fire. Uh, they've been clashing with police almost nonstop, uh, large numbers. Uh, they've attacked individuals, uh, Jews who they and people who they thought were Jews, but turned out not to be. Um, and so, as of now, we do not know. Today, the body is being released for the funeral, and then the police will release the the uh, information from the study because the body was burned. It took much longer to do the forensic uh, testing that they need to do. America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial and around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Friday morning on this 4th of July, let us remember that we are privileged to be living in a country that's free and one that has democratic values. Um, before we move on to what we got to talk about Israeli reaction militarily, which we will in a moment, what about other types of reaction? Uh, were you dissatisfied with the way the White House dealt with this whole episode and even the way they responded after the three bodies were found? Well, I think uh, <clears throat> the White House and, and Israel cooperated in Israel, and they offered you know, any assistance to, to Israel. But the public statements, I think, were wanting... And especially to, to, if the bodies were found, to right away say that both sides should exercise restraint as if both sides have some responsibility in the death of the three boys who are not engaged in anything. And, and the, the headlines constantly refer to three settlers, three settler youths, because that has some connotation as, as justification for their deaths because they are, quote, settlers. Uh, so those pub- that was not from the administration, but that from the media. Right. But the fact that they they could have waited, you know, a few hours and issued a separate statement about the responsibilities of both sides, I think it would have had much more of an impact. And people have, you know, deluded us with criticisms of the administration's uh, statements. And it seemed that Secretary the Israelis here have not been that critical. Seems that Secretary of State Kerry was very anxious to get out there after the killing of this uh, Arab boy that we just spoke about, without even having results of the investigation. Uh, right, and uh, I guess he has other agendas as well. And the other thing is rabbinic and Jewish leadership reaction. Um, I don't know what infuriates me more. When people use this opportunity to insist that now we see that only a two-state solution is the only solution as the funeral is going on, or, uh, or rabbinic leaders who insist on telling us why these three boys were killed and end up blaming their parents for it. Uh, from right to left, I think there are some, uh, uh, there are, there should be strong suggestions that it's sometimes better to keep one's mouth shut. There are, <clears throat> these are very disturbing and, uh, I think, things that will have to be addressed in the future 
the idea that that people use it for political purposes and to to diminish the moment when we should be coming together to mourn and to either put blame or responsibility because these young boys were learning in yeshiva in a certain area or in any other reason that that they could give or to advocate. I mean, right now, people advocating a, a two-state solution, I think, would see themselves as uh, um, facing many counter-arguments given the ISIS activities, etc., and, uh, and the developments in Gaza, uh, as uh, saying that this is the moment is not mature and right, given what the PA is up to, and what all, all the things, and thinking that if, in fact, that had been an area where uh, of autonomy at a time like this, where Hamas might have emerged victorious and linked up with ISIS in Iraq. It's not a far distance, it's just across Jordan, um, with very few protections in between. This would have changed the whole map of the Middle East. Yeah. I mean, and Israel would be facing Iran on its borders, something that's still possible, and Jordan is certainly seen as the, as the most vulnerable target right now, and could be a prime target for the Jordan, not necessarily to take it over, but to establish themselves and to to spread the quote caliphate, which uh, you know we talked about from the very beginning, and that this was the goal, and look how they how they have moved. Yeah, sort of like Lebanon, right? Where they where they may not officially have always been in control, but where their dominance is obvious. They they well, not this group particularly, but the, the, the fact that Iraq has collapsed, that the army of Iraq has collapsed, that Maliki, who uh, over the years has been a puppet of the Iranians. Um, and is now exposed for his incompetence and for his uh, one-sidedness and people taking revenge on all sides in, in these issues. Right. And you see the radicalization of population, Sunni, Shiite, as people are being mobilized to fight for and against uh, the other sides in, in this uh, situation. Yeah, I didn't say people that... People might say that, it's look, it's in Israel's interest that all these guys kill each other, but you have to think also about what the outcome will be and whether that will be in Israel's interest. Yeah, I wasn't suggesting that they are Hezbollah, but I was just comparing them to uh, Hezbollah and what had happened. About the activities. They, right. That is the model. They right. say that that's the model. Right, exactly. Uh, all right, so let's start with Gaza. Uh, you know, we kept uh, saying that we'll speak to you on Friday and find out if it's going to be a rough summer in Israel. Looks like we're heading in that direction, although, of course, we pray for the safety and security of all IDF soldiers who can be involved in any of these missions. Uh, what is, I don't even know if the Prime Minister knows the answer to this question right now, but I'll ask you anyway. Uh, what is the Israeli response going to be uh, on the border with Gaza? Is it going to be similar to what we've seen over the last couple of days, or is it going to escalate where, in fact, this is going to be an even more challenging summer? Uh, I think the Prime Minister has made put down very clear markers about w- w- what he expects from Hamas. And they gave him 24 hours to end the fight and then end the rockets. The, yesterday, uh, I know there were 30 rockets, and then the, during the night there were more. Some of them hit homes, uh, which is a red line, an absolute red line. Israel has retaliated against multiple sites inside Gaza, which they know were uh, military, start, uh, military sites. Uh, but the truth is that you can't root it out unless you have troops on the ground going in after these locations underneath hospitals and inside underneath mosques and in people's homes uh, where they store these uh, rockets they don't mind putting civilians in, in harm's way <clears throat> and uh, and you cannot look at it in isolation from all the other things that are 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 going on right. um, so the the battle of Hamas is 
is engaged right now. I think that the uh, you know the fight over the fifty thousand employees that Abbas has ordered back to work; those are Fatah employees in Gaza, while fifty thousand Hamas employees are without work and are getting no compensation from all along. He paid seventy thousand people not to work for years in Gaza, the whole civil service uh, infrastructure. So now that's another source of tension and clash between the Palestinians, between the Abbas and, and uh, Hamas. And he has threatened to break the deal if they prove that it, it, that Hamas was behind the, uh, the killing of the three boys or the abduction of the three boys. And, and it doesn't mean that they have to have carried it out. It means that they incited, that they, they inspired, uh, and uh, the constant process of incitement is a subject that I hope will get more attention now. So the the situation in Gaza where there are tens of thousands of missiles, and despite the fact that a lot of the infrastructure has been hit, uh, a lot remains. And this is, it's like one massive military depot. What about this truce that we keep reading about? Israel, Hamas, Egypt, what's that all about? Well, Israel uh, uh, pulled out of it. I mean, there was a, a, a ceasefire agreement, uh, but Hamas, like always, has violated constantly. There have been attempts to place IEDs along the roads, there are attempts to lure, and, and remember, there were 60 attempts to kidnap people, including soldiers, since January of last year. So, unfortunately, this time it succeeded, but it's not because they haven't been trying all along to do it. Right, but in terms of this activity this week by Israel, there are rumors about Egypt brokering some type of truce between Hamas and the Israelis. Is there? Is that even possible? Yeah, there are reports that, that they're trying to broker uh, ceasefire. You know, Mubarak did it several times also. Uh, you know, that this doesn't need to be brokered. This needs a determination by Hamas that they're going to go after those who are firing it. Then they'll say, well, it's not our people, it's Islamic Jihad. They're in charge, they're responsible. And in terms of the battle against Hamas in the Judean hills, are they going to find these two kidnappers? Uh, a lot of resources are being devoted. They know who they're looking for. They've demolished the homes of the two. And, and then you see the criticism of that when we know that it's, in fact, uh, an effective deterrent there, and you have very few that, that really worked because Israel doesn't execute those responsible. They, they put them in prison and then release them, as most democracies do, even after many years. And uh, the demolition of the house is something that can be a really important deterrent because these guys don't want to see that even if they go off to jail and live off the state, the, the families will pay a price as well. Right. So the, the criticism of it, to me, is, is almost irrational, and- it seems to me very effective way. As you sat in meetings this week, what was the evaluation, I don't even know what you're allowed to reveal, but what was the evaluation of this whole uh, operation in the Judean Hills in the last two and a half weeks? I mean, did they they accomplish what they wanted to accomplish? They eradicate Hamas cells to the degree that they would have liked to uh, in the Judean Hills? Well, first of all, it's not over. And second, uh, it was very effective because they were able to move quickly against the infrastructure of Hamas and essentially dismantle it. Uh, and Abbas, again, should be thanking them and praising them, so should the world. Um, but they, they've arrested many of the key operatives, including people released for uh, at the time of the Shalit deal. Uh, the the uh, I think that it's generally seen as been effective. They were, you know, it was a limited, uh, there was a limited ability 
at that point to, to detect exactly where they were because a lot of caves it's a very difficult terrain and uh, as I said it was it was actually volunteers who, who located the actual site where the mm-hmm. ruins were so the international community has not rallied against what Israel's done they've told Israel uh, you know do it with restraint and constraint but you see even some of the European leaders were pretty supportive uh, of Israel doing what it had to do in regard to the three points. Prime Minister of Great Britain uh, released a pretty supportive statement. The Prime Minister of Great Britain, as you know, Canada is always supportive and was right. a few others. But at the same time, the same Europeans who were leading the issuing statements were announcing that they were encouraging or passing uh, directives to businessmen not to do business with the, the settlements in the West Bank. I mean, this is such a distortion, such a, 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 a warped approach that you punish the people there, many of whom are employing Palestinians, by the way, and they're telling them not to do business. They don't tell them not to do business with all these places where, where hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people each year are being killed around the world, and nobody puts out their records. But against the settlements of housing units in, in the West Bank, then it becomes... Uh, a subject for for the BDS and for the boycott movement. Is it unreasonable for us to demand of our American public officials, members of the United States Senate, members of the United States House of Representatives, to demand that Washington stop funding the Palestinian Authority as long as Hamas continues to be part of that group? There is. First of all, um, there were members of Congress here, including very influential ones like Alana ross Layton and Ted Deutsch, uh, ranking uh, Democrat and Republicans in the subcommittee. But the House Appropriations Committee approved uh, the operation bill that bars aid to the PA uh, from $440 million in proposed funding that the the uh, Senate version uh, of the Foreign Ops Bill, Foreign Operations Bill, includes similar language, which was approved, I think, in mid-June by the Senate Appropriations uh, Committee. And uh, this year's language uh, targets any type of power-sharing government that, as I think the language here was, results from an agreement with Hamas, and it imposes quite strict conditions under which the administration can waive the fund, uh, funding ban. And uh, it says that the funding, for essentially, for the Palestinians is off the table until it's clear that unity government is committed to peace and security. And Kate Granger, who's the chair of the committee, uh, from Texas, uh, used those words in, in asserting the purpose of, of the action. So Congress has moved very clearly now. Uh, Israel, I think, is withholding uh, its aid that was due this week at the beginning of the month for uh, the Palestinians, and we'll have to see yet what decision they make about uh, the future funding, because some of it goes for security uh, forces, and they need them to be there and to be cooperative. Is it a true account that uh, as ambulances were taking the bodies out of that area where they were found, that in fact they were being stoned, those ambulances were being stoned uh, by Arabs um, uh, during that trip? During which trip? When they were taking the bodies out by ambulance from the area where they were found to, I guess, where they would be prepared for burial, that those ambulances were actually stoned by Arabs? They were, and uh, and they knew what the what was in it in the ambulances as they departed because they saw the rush of uh, response of security personnel to the area, and as they pulled out, they were they were stoned. But there were many incidents of stoning, 
uh, in the area over the last couple of days. Yeah. And now much more extreme violence, you know, being perpetrated using the uh, the death of the young Palestinian as a, as a cover for what clearly is planned, not spontaneous responses. When your meetings this week are not focusing on Gaza, I assume they are focusing on what's happening in neighboring countries, which you alluded to earlier, ISIS, etc. I, I, I know for, I know for people like me, it's difficult to, uh, you know, sift through everything and understand all the sides and what direction Israel should take. What about Israeli leadership? Is there any more clarity now in terms of either who they should be supporting or what type of governments they should be, um, uh, they should be, uh, you know, trying to help in these cases. I mean, should they be helping the government of Jordan? Should they be supporting the established government of Iraq? What should Israel be doing right now? Well, first of all, you're right about the panoply of issues. Remember, we also faced the July 20th deadline with Iran. Oh, and, yeah, that's right. Uh, the Iran negotiations, plus more, which is weighing very heavily on the minds of, of Israel and would be, I'd say, the priority issue. A longer-term issue beyond the, mo- the thing, issues of the moment, but the the if you look, Israel is strongly advocating for Jordan to assure the stability of Jordan, which is important for Israel. It's important for the PA. It's important for Jordan. It's important for the region. The collapse of the Jordanian regime, the Jordanian government would put Iran on Israel's border. It would uh, unleash unleash uh, uh, forces with a million and a half Syrians, with the other refugees there, and, and the Muslim Brotherhood, the, the Palestinian population being two-thirds of Jordan, you, you could have untold consequences. Israel is also seemingly supporting uh, more autonomy, if not independence, for the Kurds. This is a big story that gets underplayed, but this is one of the things that could remain after things settle down, if they ever do, uh, that could change the whole Middle East. The ISIS, I think, can't sustain long-term holding it if they're facing really organized and intelligent opposition, and they should be going after their supply routes and their backing in uh, in Syria. But they're recruiting more people. ISIS is not such a big group. The estimates are that maybe 7,000 to fifteen or 20,000 max uh, of support, but they're getting now recruits from all over the world because people, the, the extremists, uh, driven by extremist ideologies who, who are looking for uh, a place who were initially recruited to fight in Syria are now fighting with ISIS, which is seen as the vanguard for the establishment of this caliphate and the other activities that it's talking about. All of this exacerbating the Sunni-Shiite tensions uh, in, in the region. It, and this could be a, a very critical factor, but the Kurds, if they, you see Turkey's position now has changed. In, in supporting now some sort of Turkish independence. But you have to know that there's an August 10th election, and the Kurds could well be the kingmakers in who gets elected president. So Erdogan is now wooing them and uh, in the hope that he will get their votes, and that will be the difference because he's running neck and neck with the opposition. And the, I think uh, many of the analysts say the decision will be made by how the Kurdish vote goes. There are 12 million Kurds in, in uh, Turkey. Uh, so the the move towards establishing a Kurdish 
independent area. <laughs> so that... again, erase the borders. You know, the, 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 I challenge people to tell me where is the border today between Iraq and Syria. So if we see Erdogan, for instance, calling for you know Kurdish autonomy, it's simply a political ploy to make sure he gets their votes. It's absolutely a a political uh, maneuver right now for himself, and uh, we see how the Kurds are using the threat of of independence to obtain the best possible. A deal for staying in Iraq. You know, they have some of the oil areas. They've been selling oil. A, a lot of issues we can't go into, but I mean, it's very complex uh, subjects, and um, and you have to see how how the people, the residents in, in these different countries, how they will be treated. What will Iran do, which fears very much an independent uh, Kurdish state because it goes from Iran, Turkey, Syria, Iraq. You have right. large numbers of Kurds in. in all of these areas, and uh, they also have close ties to Israel. And which border challenge did you just issue? Iraq, Syria, you said? To, yes. To Iraq, Syria, that would be the challenge. Uh, so interesting, uh, toward the beginning of what you were just saying, uh, what we've learned is that arguably Israel's least, uh, or Israel's most peaceful border, potentially, if we don't play Jordan right, and if Iran moves the way we think they might, could become its most troubling border. Because you'd have to say, arguably, the least, uh, uh, the most peaceful border right now is with Jordan, right? Essentially, uh, obviously, it's with Jordan, right? And uh, and God forbid, if Iran does what you just described, it could become the biggest border problem for Israel. It could be, and that's why Israel has been very supportive, and why they have been encouraging the West to be supportive of of uh, the king and and his military, so they can defend themselves. But Israel's border with Lebanon has been relatively quiet. Right. Even the Syrian border, if there's a retaliated, relatively quiet. Right, but because of it the extension, no incidents. Right, but because of the extension from Syria, I don't think we'd ever label it as quiet. We're always worried that anything could happen in a moment up there. And the same thing is true though with Jordan. I mean, yeah. The same thing is true in in all these areas. When you look at the polls, ninety percent of uh, Jordanians do not support close relations with Israel or. or uh, the numbers in, and the incitement in, against the uh, within the populations against Israel, against the closeness to Israel, very strong. It's, it's not to be dismissed about what the implications of that is. And finally, tell us about that deal with Iran. The United States has to do what in the next couple of weeks? Have to reach an agreement. It's, uh, July twentieth is the deadline of the six months set forth. There is a provision to extend it for six months. They say we won't do it unless they've made sufficient progress. I had a briefing uh, last night, uh, night before last, from a top White House official here uh, who called me, and you know I don't see anything that has radically changed except that uh, the number of centrifuges may be much higher. This is something that will be very unacceptable to Israel and should be unacceptable to the U.S. They point out that the storage capacities are, are less. In other words, they don't have uh, they, they've set the limit on how much you could store, but. Frankly, it is not relevant anymore because the new centrifuges, they have not taken any out. It's true they haven't added any and replaced them, but they have uh, 19,000 centrifuges in place, including a couple thousand of the most modern, and those can move directly into towards enrichment at the, at the level needed for a, a weapon. So the storage is not that important. And the question is what happens with the missile capacity, what happens with the weaponization, the military we haven't even heard the, discuss, the discussions uh, of those things. So the question will be, will they extend it to six months? 
till the next six months. What will they do in terms of easing sanctions? Right. Uh, you know, the argument is given that sanctions have continued to be impactful and the economy is down, inflation is 30%, etc. And yet we hear of seminars given for European businessmen about uh, that are packed with major corporations, representatives, <laughs> discussing about how you get back in business in, Ur- in Iran. <laughs> to, invest, post, to invest in uh, Iran. Right? Encouraging people to invest there. To to do business, right? <laughs> Unbelievable. In, even though it's the, some of the fears, you know, the car sales haven't gone up, the many other things that people thought might happen because of the change in the sanctions regime till now, and the sanctions continue to be applied, and they do have an impact. But we, what we have to do is see more of it, and not a weakening of of the uh, of the sanctions, and to see the the uh, united front from the powers. Uh, and that that would include also about their meddling in Iraq, their their uh, support for international terrorism, their human rights violations. You know, the time is running out. There isn't much time for such a complicated deal. The, uh, the they claim uh, that the world should simply trust them. It ignores the fact that for twenty years, fifteen years. There are dozens of violations by Iran of its international uh, non-proliferation uh, obligations and responsibilities. In fact, going back to the 80s. So there's no basis on which we would just act on trust with them, even on the common interests that we have in the region. Because right. this will do more damage, frankly, or as much damage as anything I can imagine uh, in, the, in the Middle East. They're going to try to drag out the negotiations, the Iranians will, uh, I don't think the administration and the Europeans want to see failed negotiations. They've got enough failures on their hands now. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see very soon. It's not going to take a long time before we know what direction it's headed. And uh, there could be serious clashes between the United States and some of its key allies over this. Malcolm, two Jews, three opinions, one heart. Give us your final message of this very sensitive week. Just on the one heart and... And I think if anybody who was at that funeral could not go away unchanged, and it reminds us that Israel values life, our enemies value death. Israel kills when it's ne- only when it's essential to exist, our enemies exist to kill. And the, the difference in values and infrastructure, and, and, and we value all human life. We don't want to see anybody uh, killed or dead. But when Israel has to defend itself and has to make sure that the people in the South, if you would see the fear and concern of children, some of the films of how they have to run in and stay road now, but these missiles will hit Tel Aviv ultimately. And only all of us coming together, not just in the moment of tragedy, but to stand firmly together in support of Israel, in support of our future, the 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 lesson of all of this is that this these are all of our children these three boys are all of ours and it's why any comments that that tend to that misdirect attention or any actions any any responsibilities and the the idea that you can have radicals in amongst the jewish population is is uh, also something that should be of concern because they hurt uh, israel standing in the world it's standing with the jewish people and engage in irresponsible uh, actions. So we have to wait and see what happened with this uh, Arab kid. We don't know yet, and people shouldn't rush to it. But I think if all of us, if every shul this Shabbos would again think about it, and we're 
looking for events to do down the road now, not to lose this moment of of the unity, especially during the three weeks a period that has always tested the Jewish people throughout history. Achdos, the unity that we saw is going to be more important than ever. Oh, no question about it. Uh, enjoy Jerusalem. We will reconvene next week. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Have a good Shabbos. Malcolm Holman is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Friday weekly update here on this 4th of July morning at JM in the AM. This time each and every Friday, every era of Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Balak. Parshas Balak, according to the Chinuch, following his Rebbe, the Rambam, does not contain any of the mitzvos of the Tariag of the 613. However, I want to first of all begin by dedicating this program Le'ilui Nishmas, in memory of the three Kedoshim, Ayal ben Uri, Gilad Michael ben Ophir, Naphtali Yaakov ben Avraham, and we pray that our learning should be an aliyah for their very holy Nishamot, that truly were ma'achid brought together an incredible sense of unity and togetherness for the Jewish people. One or two observations about Parshas Korach, excuse me, Parshas Bolok. In Parshas Bolok, you have, according to the Rambam, the belief in the coming of Moshiach. The Rambam writes in the beginning of chapter 11 of Hilchos Melachim, HaMelech HaMoshiach Osid La'amod Ulachzir Malchus David Liyoshna. The Moshiach who will be a king from the family of David will return the royalty of David to its institution Boneh HaMikdash he will oversee the building of the third base HaMikdash the third temple Mikabetz Nidchei Yisrael he will oversee the ingathering of all the dispersed of Israel and all the laws of the Torah will return as they were in days of old there will be the resumption of the offerings, sacrifices in the Beis Hamikdash the laws of the Shemitah, the sabbatical year the seventh year and Yovlos, the fiftieth year will be restored kechol mitzvah sa'amura Torah. Now, says the Rambam, v'chol mishenu mamim bo, whoever does not believe in the concept of Moshiach, 
of the Messiah. Oh, one who does not pine, who is not anxious, and does not excitedly await for his coming. He's not only denying the prophecy of the other prophets, there is a denial of one of the tenets of our Torah and Moshe Rabbeinu. The Torah testifies that there will be the coming of Moshiach. And his second proof comes from this week's parsha of Parsha's Balak, after Parsha's Bilam, whereby in this week's parsha, Balak, the king of Moab, hires Bilam, the non-Jewish prophet, to come and curse the Jewish people. So after he is unsuccessful in so doing, what we do find at the end of the parsha, in chapter 24, Pasuk 17 and 18, he prophesizes regarding the two Moshiach, Mashiach Harishon, the first one, Shehu David, Shoshia Es Yisrael Miyad Sarayam, King David, who helped Israel from its enemies, Uba Mashiach Acharon, and in the latter Mashiach, Sheomed Mibanav, who will come from the descendants of David, Shemoshia Es Yisrael, who will be the one to literally save Israel bring it out of its exile in the end of days. The Chenu Omer and Shum, therefore he says, he cites from this week's parsha, Erenu Velo Atah, literally I shall see him, but not now. And this refers to King David. Ashurenu, literally I shall look at him, Velo Karov, but it's not near Zemelech HaMoshiach. Torach Kochov Miyakov, literally a star has issued forth from Jacob. This is a reference to David, the Kom Shevet Miyisrael, and a scepter bearer has risen from Israel, Zemelech HaMoshiach. So the first thing that comes out of this week's parsha is that of the belief. Anima Min Be'emunah Shlema. But I'd like to focus on an additional significant verse which we're all familiar with, which comes from this week's parsha. In chapter 24, verse 5, Bilam says, Matovu Ohalecho Yaakov Mishkenosecho Yisrael. How goodly are your tents, O Jacob, your dwelling places, O Israel. Now, is it not strange, I ask you, that the Siddur, the prayer book, begins with this verse. When the Jew enters the synagogue, he recites this verse from this week's parsha of Bala. Now, I ask you, are there no other verses in Tanakh that extol the virtue of synagogue that we have to go to that which was recited by Bilam, not exactly your nicest individual? And so I'd like to suggest that in this verse, 
it's not only saying to the Jew as he, she comes into the synagogue, welcome, home, but on a much deeper level, it is a prelude, an introduction to prayer, teaching us the incredible capacity of prayer to transform. Literally, the Talmud tells us that from Bilam's blessing, says Rabbi Yochanan in the Gemara Sanhedrin, Kufhei Amid Beis 105b Miberchas Social Oso Russia from his blessing Atolamid Malyo Balibo we see what was in his heart BK Shlomar he wanted to say Shaloyu Vahem Batekanesios the Jewish people should not have synagogues Ubate Midrashos and houses of study to get close to God How, and what happened he said Matovu why? Because as the Pasuk teaches us in Parshas Kiseitse that God transformed his curse into a blessing. Prayer is the capacity to transform. And even if we don't know exactly what we are praying for, prayer has an incredible effect. I have to believe that so many Jews, who when we found out of the tragic end of the three young men who were kidnapped and brutally murdered, how frustrated we were how consciously or subconsciously you might have said to yourself the prayers that we have recited and this was recited by Jews all over the world Chiloni, Haredi observant, not yet observant from every walk and stripe all Jews were praying and now God forbid you could say for what? For naught, I want to say that that is nothing but the farthest from the truth. I repeat the words that were said by the chief rabbi, Yitzchak Yosef, the Sephardic chief rabbi of Medinas Yisrael. He cited from the Haftorah, on the second day of Rosh Hashanah, coming from Yirmiyahu, chapter Lamed Aleph, Rabbi the Navi, Yirmiyahu, tells us, Ko Omar Hashem, this is what God has said, Ko Baramanishma, a voice was heard on high, Nehi b'chi samrurim. There's wailing. There's bitter crying. Rachel mevako alborneha. Rachel is crying for her children. Meyanolehi nochem. She refuses to be consoled. Alborneha for her children. Kienenu for they are gone. The rabbis tell us in the introduction to the medrash Eicha that Yirmiyahu Hanavi goes and he wakes up the avos and the imahos. And their prayers are not effective. Rachel Imenu says to Akurish Baruchu, she says to God, Look here, 
I took in Atsara into my home. Yaakov was supposed to marry me. Yaakov, I gave Yaakov Leah. I lived with, quote, competition all my life. God, you have to do the same. And even though your children have brought idolatry into your base Hamigdash, you've got to forgive them. Unbelievable language. Listen to her prayer. Koamar Hashem. So the Nabi tells us that God says, Mini kolech mi bechi. Rachel, restrain and stop your voice from crying. Ve'inayich mi dimwa. And wipe away your tears. Kiyesh sachor lefula seich. Because there is a reward for your prayers. Ne'um Hashem. And v'shavu me'eretz oyev. Your children will return from the land of their enemies. V'yesh tikva l'achri seich. And there is hope for you ultimately, says God, the shovel and your children shall return to their borders. Now I ask you, when was Rachel's prayer offered? And the answer is approximately 2,500 years ago. So you would imagine over the centuries, you would ask and say, Rachel, what happened to your prayer? We would only imagine her prayer was filled and covered over with cobwebs, and it was completely in oblivion, right? Wrong. We have lived to see in our day in the last 66 years since the founding of the state of Israel, Beli'ayin Harakim Yerbu, six million Jews have come to return home. Rachel's prayer has been answered and is being answered and will continue to be answered even though it potentially lied dormant for almost and more than 2,000 years. The point is very clear. The tefillos that we recited on behalf of these three men, these tefillos you should know, were not for naught. They are taken, they are deposited in the divine bank of prayer. And they are utilized for the benefit of the Jewish people when HaKadosh Baruch Hu deems it necessary. And Rav Sadak HaKohen tells us that those prayers which are offered Unfortunately, without kavana, without proper concentration. I don't have to tell you how challenging prayer is and how too often we are distracted by other events going on in our life and our prayers are not offered with the proper sincerity and concentration. Yet, says Rav Sadok, when other prayers are offered with kavana. They have the capacity to not only rise, but they bring with them as well those other prayers that had been placed on high because they were offered without the proper kavana. We don't realize how much these three kedoshim, these three young men accomplished literally by the great unification of the Jewish people and by bringing together 
the incredible tefillos that were offered on their behalf. And we pray that Am Yisrael should be privileged to be unified continually in the future for smachot and happy occasions and not, unfortunately, through tragedy. Shabbat Shalom to all.
J.M. in the A.M. That's Yehuda Green. Friday morning on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Bala. Candle lighting at 8.10 on this 4th of July. Back Monday here at J.M. in the A.M. Make sure to be tuned in. I was reading uh, from Rabbi Shai Shechter's account of his visit to Israel sent by his synagogue. Congregation connects at Israel to Israel to be Menachem Avul to uh, offer condolences on behalf of the entire Kehila and behalf of the entire congregation to the families in Israel. We read the part earlier of his uh, very interesting plane ride. We read the part of his visit to the Cher family, and now he says, I then traveled to Nofi alone to visit the Frankel family. I got to speak very personally with both Mr. and Mrs. Frankel. They, too, were overwhelmed with our sense of connection and achrayos to Am Yisrael and its terrible tragedies. Mrs. Frankel then said, Rabbi, it is not only you who feel it for us. You don't even know how deeply I personally feel a connection to your shul. The Torah that you teach in the White Shul, I know you don't know, but I follow and listen to the Shiurim on YU Torah. And I can't tell you how special it is that one of my personal rabbeim has come from abroad to share this difficult time with me. Mrs. Frankel then told me that when Ambassador Dan Shapiro came to speak with her last week about the continued mission to rescue her son, he said, quote, for an American citizen, nothing will stop us. To which she responded, it makes no difference if my son is American or Israeli. If all three are not being equally emphasized, and I want none of them back. Klal Yisrael is Klal Yisrael. Being more familiar with America and the English language, the Frankels spent time reading the package of letters that were presented and found many of them to be incredibly heartwarming. And finally, I visit the home of the Yifrachs in Elad, a complete mob scene. I was brought directly to meet with Mr. Yifrach, who stood up in the overly crowded tent and tightly hugged, kissed, and cried on my shoulder. He asked that our shul consider joining their family when they make their next simcha, so we not only connect with this special family under these circumstances, and that we always remember that life is usually supposed to be filled with and revolve around simchat hachayim. I was then brought to meet with Mrs. Yifrach, who was inside the house, and she asked that I share her personal wish with our shul. On Erev Shabbat at 1900 p.m. Israel time, There will be close to one million Jews around the world participating in a regash al chesed. Throughout Israel and various communities, people will be setting aside sums of money for tzedakah in memory of the three precious kadoshim, the three pure and untainted souls. She begged that our shul sincerely commit to join this meaningful campaign and asked that when setting aside these monies, we recite Gidola tzedakah shemekarevet et hagula. She begged that her beloved brothers and sisters join with her as well going forward to make this worldwide campaign of chesed a most successful and life-changing one in memory of the three boys. What more is possibly left to say other than me, Ka'amcha Yisrael? I want to thank her by Shai Shechter of the uh, White Shul in Far Rockaway for sharing this with us. Uh, many people have already seen this. It has gone viral, as the expression goes, and for good reason. And kolakavod to everybody. We cited many people already this week, not all by name, but many people who took the time to travel from many different places, including here in the United States, to be with the families, to convey messages, to represent different congregations and segments of our community with the uh, comforting words of Nichum Avelim. Kolakavod. It is Erev Shabbos with candle lighting at 810 on this Friday morning Erev Shabbos as we get set for Shabbos with journeys at JM in the AM. The sun. 
Brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listen to sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world in the web, jmtheam.org. Yes, yes, our brothers and sisters in Israel, thank God many people demonstrated that we are with you, especially during this week. Uh, happy 4th of July. Uh, continue to appreciate the ability and the blessing of living in a free and democratic country on this 4th of July, 2014. 
Um, have a wonderful Shabbos, great weekend. Don't forget um, great weekend programming, including Matis with JM Sunday, 7 o'clock in the morning this Sunday on our stream at jmnam.org. Monday we are back starting at 6 a.m. Make sure to join us. Have a great Shabbos, wonderful weekend. Till next week, it's Nachum Sigal reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.